belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for December 19th, 2021, the fourth week of Advent, is called, But What Kind of Peace? The teacher is John Ray, and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia, in Fayetteville, Arkansas. You can have a seat. Again, welcome. My name is John Ray, here to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas, whether you're listening on the podcast or watching. Well, this time, last year, we were taking note of the Grand Conjunction. Does anybody remember that? The Grand Conjunction. For the first time in 800 years, Jupiter and Saturn aligned and formed one dot in the sky. I don't know if you stayed up and watched it or watched the images. Um, actually, I forgot about it until I was going back and reading the notes that we did that last year. Like, it was this major event, right? Hadn't happened in 800 years. Everybody was excited. Maybe you stayed up, maybe you didn't, maybe you saw the pictures and didn't, but it, we quickly moved on from that. Other things took precedent. Other things, because we live in this time where the aligning of planets seems small into comparison of the grand conjunction of the events of our lives, right? We're on the precipice of another wave of coronavirus variant, economic upheaval and questions, political wranglings that are going on, personal situations. It seems like we have conjunctions of all sorts. As we light the Advent candles of hope, where we started, and then joy. Last week, Laura led us talking about love. And then this week, we talked about peace. I like the peace candle. What is peace in the midst of a time of grand conjunctions of things that seem destined to rob us of anything resembling peace in our lives. What does it mean to have peace in the midst of such challenges? See, we all long for something we call peace, but I wonder, is that really the peace that the Bible speaks about? We talked about waiting, right, earlier about the things we wait for. And I think all of us have maybe this idea of this thing called peace. That's the word we use for it. But I don't know if that's the thing that's being talked about in our text this morning. I don't think that's the thing that's promised by Jesus. I don't think that may be the thing that's embodied by Jesus. And learning what the peace is actually that God promises and bodies is essential to rightly aligning our imagination, our expectations. It's, it's this waiting that refines our wanting. This waiting, this longing that refines our imagination for what is it we're really longing for. Well, like I said earlier as well, the people, the Jewish people had waited, and indeed all of creation has waited 
for the moment of this peace to come. And Isaiah the prophet spoke about it. We're reading from Isaiah chapter 9, a classic Advent text this morning. Starting in verse 1, we're reading from the message through Advent, Eugene Peterson's um, interpretation. So, starting in verse 1, Isaiah 9. But there'll be no darkness for those who are in trouble. Earlier did he bring the lands of Zebulun and Naphtali to disrepute. <clears throat> but the time is coming when he'll make that whole area glorious. The road along the sea, the country past the Jordan, international Galilee. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. For those who lived in a land of deep shadows, light, sunburst of light. You repopulated the nation. You expanded its joy. Oh, they're so glad in your presence. Festal joy. The joy of a great celebration, sharing rich gifts and warm greetings. The abuse of, a pressure of oppressors and the cruelty of tyrants. All their whips and clubs and curses is gone. Done away with. A deliverance as surprising and as sudden as Gideon's victory, Gideon's old victory over Midian. The boots of all those invading troops, along with their shirts soaked with innocent blood, will be piled in a heap and burned. The fire that will burn for days. Why? For a child has been born for us. The gift of a son for us. He'll take over the running of the world. His names will be Amazing Counselor, Strong God, Eternal Father, Prince of Wholeness, is how Peterson translates it. Prince of Peace. His ruling authority will grow. There'll be no limits to the wholeness he brings. He'll rule from the historic Davidic throne over that promised kingdom. He'll put that kingdom on a firm footing and keep it going with fair dealing and right living. Beginning now and lasting always, the zeal of the God of angel armies will do all this. Wow. Now that's the kind of peace we can hope for, right? That's the kind of peace we can imagine. Hey, let's, our enemies are defeated. All the corruption is gone away with. We're, we're right dealing now. We're plain talking. We're doing things the right way. The right thing done in the right way. And we're kind of on top here. We're we're, we're the ones where um, people are looking to is the success story with that. And we've got influence, right? International Galilee, he says. Right? We've got influence among all these other people. That sounds, that sounds good, y'all. But I wonder even if Isaiah really understood what he was wanting and longing for. I wonder if the peace described here is really the peace that was coming with it. And as I read this and as we prepared for this week, we, as often happens, we came up with a lot more questions than we came up with answers with this. We started off with questions like the one we're asking already, what is the peace that we're seeking collectively as a, as a people, but also individually? I mean, even the Bible seems a little bit confused about it. Laura did some research, right? And in the Isaiah text, it's shalom in the Hebrew, which indicates completeness, safety, welfare, prosperity. Friendship and human relationships are wholeness, completeness, as Peterson translates it. But in the New Testament, the word that they translate into that is 
Irene. That's how we would say it. And this is more implies like quietness or peace of mind. Kind of more of a personal peace with that. There's two words that are used here in the Bible. We use one in English. It's often our poverty of our language. We're trying to condense you know, complex words and ideas into a single word with this. There are two different words here. There's a lot of ideas here. But even beyond just the, the textbook definition, we ask, how is peace different just from relief? be honest with you, a lot of times I'm not, I'm not looking so much for an answer as I'm just looking for relief. I'm watching our moms walk around back here with newborn babies and I wonder if uh, for y'all the idea of peace is just a solid eight hours of sleep. Just a little bit of relief, right? Like that feels like peace. Just, just give me a break with that. How is peace different from the nostalgic longing for some imagined time in the past when things were good? I mean, we're in a season of deals and nostalgia, right? All the ads, all the advertisements and, and stories that come out seem to just all be about some imagined past time when things were simple and life. How is this peace different than just nostalgia for that? How is peace different than just wanting to win? Just to be right, just to be proved right. How, how is peace different from that? How is it different along with that? How is it different from wanting revenge? Hey, let's get the bad guy. Let's make sure they're put in their place. Is that peace? When we get revenge. And, and, it, and it all kind of is summed up in this idea, how is peace different than wanting control? How is peace different from that longing that we all have to make sense of something complex? Jane and I were talking about this yesterday. Is that It's almost like we can endure anything if we can understand it. Why, why bad things happen to good people, maybe? is a question often. And we can say, oh, well, this happened and it's because of this and it works this way and, and even though the outcome is bad, well, I understand how we got there. And there's a, there's a piece in this idea of, of the control that comes from knowledge, that comes from understanding. Our desire to make complex things and oftentimes ununderstandable things simple. Is that, is that the peace we're longing for? Is that what we mean when we're asking for peace like that? In short, we say we want peace, but do we really? Do we want the peace that we see embodied in Jesus? Because I think this is something different than all the things we just talked about. I think this peace that's embodied in Jesus, it's different than just relief. It's different from a nostalgic longing being fulfilled. It's different from the desire for victory or revenge. It's different from just 
wanting to understand so that we can control and therefore prepare and therefore manipulate and therefore be on top. And whether this comes, like Shannon said, as we were preparing this week, that you know we we see Jesus as the knight in sh- the shining chariot. I like that. But instead of shining armor, right? This, this is back in Second Temple period time. She put it contextually correct. She wants Jesus to be the knight in a shining chariot who shows up and puts the world right. Um, you know, the people were longing for God to come and get the upper hand to execute vengeance. Well, I don't think that's it. It's also, I don't think it's the peace that is personal. We talk a lot about personal peace in our society, inner peace, personal peace with that. But the peace here is always communal. There is no personal peace without communal peace that we see. Well, I'll tell you, I wish I had an answer for you. This fourth Sunday of Advent, this is probably where I'm supposed to transition and now give you the answer and say, well, hey, we've, we've said what it's not. We've asked all these questions, so let me tell you what it is. Well, you're just going to have to wait a little bit longer. Because I'm still waiting. Y'all, I don't know the answer. Conversations I've had this week. Things that I've been brought into to, to try to understand and work through. I don't have the answer. That's it. Um, and thank God I don't have to, really. Thank God it's not up to me to do that. But I do have a response. And I have a response that comes from the text. I have a response that comes from 2,000 years of understanding, of trying to understand and celebrate the birth and the coming of the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Holiness. We're uniquely privileged in history, y'all. That not only do we have the experience of the longing before Jesus, but we have the, the witness and the testimony, the response to Jesus after Jesus has come. With that. And I think the response kind of comes in three ways with that. And the first thing is this is that peace is not the same as the lack of conflict or the absence of tension. Look, if you're waiting for it all to be wrapped up, if you're waiting for it all to end, there to be no more conflict, no more tension, no more questions. Sorry. I know, I know, because I want that too, but I just, I don't see that. I don't see that. As a matter of fact, I consistently run into a Jesus in the Bible who is disturbing the peace. He's constantly, he is the Prince of Peace, right? He's also the disturber of the peace. Matter of fact, that's what got him crucified. Jesus was literally crucified for disturbing the peace. He came and he, and I've been just meditating on this from the Beatitudes this week where he said, blessed are those who long for peace. Blessed are those who mourn, who are discontent with the way things are. That's not, that's not, I don't think that's because of a lack of peace. I think it's actually for a, 
a longing for it, a deep longing for it that creates that discontent. When we look at the gospel, we look at how it's interpreted in our world, how it's abused today in our culture. And I think, well, I think a lot of things. But I think about how it is, and I, I, I really wanted to stay away from this cliche. I wanted to so bad, but I don't know that I can. But how the message of the gospel literally is there to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. As much as I hate the cliche, it rings true that I see that the gospel, we, we've twisted, our culture has twi- so often twisted it to be the result to be the opposite. Hey, let's make this a palatable message to keep those who have privilege and power and prestige and, and health and wealth, let's use the gospel to keep them established and trenched in power. Listen, if it's not good news for everyone, it's good news for nobody. And if it's not good news, especially for those on the margin, for those who lack, for those who mourn, for those who long, then it's not the gospel with that. I love what the psychologist Larry Crabb said one time. He said, an aching soul is evidence not of neurosis or spiritual immaturity, but of realism. Does your soul ache for what's going on in the world? It's not because you're spiritually immature. It's not some neuroses that needs to be healed. That's because you're you're looking in the clear eyes with gospel eyes of the world and the hurt that's out there. So, so the response I see is that peace is not this lack of conflict or absence of tension. In some ways, it just reorders it. It's going to reorder it. Now, I will say this. It, it also makes it manageable. I, I do believe there is a promise that it won't overwhelm us, that it, it can make it But the other thing I see is that we touched on already that this peace is connected to others. That our individual peace is never separate from the overall peace. With that. My peace is inexorably tied up with the peace of others. With with y'all's peace. I feel it. As I look around the room and I, I think about the conversations we have and think, I feel this within myself. And I want to encourage you, a couple of weeks ago I said, uh, you know, this time of year is, is a unique time because we can go back through the messages because we always preach on the same thing, right? The same topics as we go through. Um, but this year in particular, when we've taught on Isaiah for so long, Ruben Nuno of uh, Living Hope Church in New York taught for us, and he taught on the Isaiah 6 passage. Uh, it's, in our, it's in our podcast. Go back and listen to it. It's phenomenal. And he talks about how um, the, biblical, the biblical story changes where we look for the answers to come from. We have to understand as Christians, right, we're not looking inside ourselves for the answers. The answer is always coming from the outside. It's coming from God, but it also often comes from the people on the margins. The people who have been left out it comes from those, comes from there with that.
So peace is connected to others. And the last thing, the response I see, is that peace is a fruit of proximity. It's the presence of a person. Um, if, I, if I hit you with a cliche earlier that I don't want to use, um, this may be the mother of all church cliches. But Jesus is the answer, y'all. There, there's just no other thing. If, if there, if there starts to be another answer in this, we cease to be a, we cease to be a church. But Jesus is the answer, and proximity to the person of Jesus and awareness of the presence of Jesus is where peace is found. Again, this peace may look very different than what we're anticipating. But there is no other source, there is no other center to our peace with that. Now, I want to be quick to say this is not, this is not the sole part of it, right? When I say Jesus is the answer, I don't mean that, hey, that's all you need. We don't need doctors. We don't need other people and experts and scientists and and things like that. No, but but we all know we operate from a center. We all know we orient from a singular, singular position that allows us to be in right relationship with all the other things. That's the thing. When I say Jesus is the answer, then Jesus, what, what happens is that center, Jesus being the center, helps us order properly all those other necessary things with that. But if Jesus isn't our center, all of those things, everything, gets out of whack. So peace is the fruit of proximity to Jesus. And again, this is a, this is a great mystery of the church because we, we, we talk about seeking Jesus. We talk about pursuing Jesus. We talk about running after Jesus. We talk about following Jesus as if Jesus is somewhere else. And we're having to go there. When the reality is, and the whole message of Advent is, Jesus has come here. Jesus is the one pursuing us. Jesus is the one after us. And so this practice of pursuing Jesus is one of, of paying attention. Again, we say it a lot here, right? It's not, it's not earning anything. It's learning. That's what Christianity is. It's not earning, it's learning. Every other religion out there is earning. Do this, don't do that. Maybe God will bless you, maybe God won't. No, that's the furthest thing from Christianity. Christianity is done. God has come. God has done what God promised to do. Jesus is here. But the act of these words we use of following Jesus, pursuing Jesus, is one of pursuing the consciousness of Jesus' presence in our life, of how Jesus is working, where Jesus is working in us, through us, among us, with that. And it leads us into all kinds of questions, and like I said, it leads us into not necessarily away from tension or conflict, but just into different tension and conflict. Yeah, super hopeful, I know, right, with that. But these three things, these three responses to our question help, I think, guide us into that. Understanding that, that we're going to have trouble. We're going to have conflict. We're going to have longings that are not met. 
But let's make sure those are the right longings, okay? Let's make sure those are the right things with that. And just as simple as going and providing meals for four Afghan refugees on Tuesday with Teresa, let's practice an understanding that our peace is tied up with the peace of our community, the peace of all creation with that. And then also understanding that our the peace that we really long for, the, the deepest longing, the one that we can't say, the one that we don't have words for, the one that we when we try to utter the words, all we do is moan. All we do is weep. That the answer to that longing is found in the proximity of Jesus. The experience of Jesus being close to us. And look, we can get up here and talk about all the things that keep us from that. The political climate. The need we have to try to make it in this world that seems dead set against our peace. The side effects of the me first culture we live in. The uncertainty we're all facing about everything. The discontent driven by our misguided wanting. This idea that if I just had a little bit more, I'd be happy. A little bit more money, a little bit bigger house, a little bit newer car, maybe a different relationship. I'd be happy. That N plus one thinking, whatever it is, I just need a little bit more. It all leads to discontent. But y'all, there is an answer, or there is a response. There is a response. I don't have a formula for you. Wish I could give you one. Don't have it. But I do have a response, and I think the text give us a, gives us a response. And God gives us a response. And it's that response that I hope guides us into this new year. It is that response that we see in the text that God has come, the Prince of Wholeness has come, and He is ruling, bringing peace, restoring, making things new, doing these things. I hope that's what guides us in our hopes and dreams as a church for this new year. That Grace Church is going to be a fellowship of broken people who are undomesticated in our passion for wholeness and freedom and grace for everyone, no exceptions. That we would be rid of the suffocating niceness and addiction to order and control to which so much religion is prone, that instead love, unflinching, inexplicable love, would permeate every relationship we have. Because we ourselves are rooted and drenched in the love of God that overwhelms us. Advent is the greatest of all grand conjunctions, y'all. And the worship team can come up. It's not just the aligning of two celestial bodies. Advent is, is the conjunction of God and man. God and humanity. It's the conjunction of heaven and earth. It is the conjunction of sin and death and life and redemption. Of slavery and fear and violence and freedom and joy and all of it.
proclaiming peace. Even though we are still waiting for the ultimate fulfillment of all we long for, we have to see what is available to us right here and right now. Friends, peace is here. We may not feel it. We may not understand it. We may have to align our imagination differently. But peace is here. I can sense it more than I can describe it, y'all. But peace is here. Peace in the person of Jesus, in the presence of his people, it's here with this. It may not be what we imagine, but it's everything we need. We're going to transition now into this time of taking communion and Lance and Kelly will be coming through the rows and passing it out. You put your hands out, they'll put the cracker in your hand and take the take the juice and just take it as you get it with that. Listen, you may not feel it. I get it. I get it. I get it. You may not feel it. I I've struggled this week feeling it. So receive the elements today as a promise towards that peace. Just receive the elements as, as a down payment maybe or as, a, as an experience of the presence of the response to your longing. Look at what Jesus offers. Jesus offers himself. Jesus offers himself. And that's free to everyone who's here. Everyone is welcome at the table of Jesus. Jesus' presence is for So thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.